a podcast that investigates the experience of self, the events that have shaped our world, the people that we have become, by focusing on the person first. Um, Emma, what's your earliest memory of someone good at life? Earliest memory would be my aunt, so my mum's sister, and the reason for that was because we had an incredibly close relationship. Um, she, I was probably born um, 12 years earlier than a lot of my cousins, and I was an only child, so I looked up to her in a lot of ways, and the way that she grasped what a lot of people didn't about certain situations and relationships and the dynamics, um, especially within our family. Um, so I wouldn't say good at life in a traditional sense in terms of following a career and earning lots of money and living a certain lifestyle, but perhaps like the intrinsic, softer side of things that you don't necessarily get taught along the way. So it was quite fortunate to have someone like that to look up to, especially early in life. Yeah. Well, she understood the relationships between people and said, I know why that person's reacting that way. I know how to talk to that person to get your point across, that type of thing. She... So she she wouldn't mind me saying this, but she's a hippie and yeah. had like a really different side of like different view of looking at everything the way that other people would. And I think having grown up quite quickly, um, for me, spending time with her was just really quite eye opening. And the way she, you know, would spin the situation, even though I was quite young, I'd be able to see a different perspective on something. So if there's a traditional way of looking at something, she'd completely break that mould. And she's she's lived a really different type of life to what my other family members have. So I think from a young, when you said earliest memory, that, that sort of sprung to mind because what you're normally taught growing up as a child, she completely, you know, blew it out, blew it out of the water. There wasn't a way of saying, like, this is how you do it. It was actually, look at it like this. So I appreciated that. And she was also a very young aunt, so we did pretty cool things that my mum didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What kind of... Um... So she had a different viewpoint of the world then through with her experiences? Yeah, so she's very... So now, I mean, when I was, like, six, seven years old, I wouldn't understand things like, you know, I suppose anything psychological, but I wouldn't... And, you know, she went on several different courses and she was very much into things like Reiki healing and neuro-linguistic uh, practitioning and things like that. So as a seven-year-old, I didn't understand the... The concept, if you like, um, but I certainly understood that the viewpoint is very different to perhaps what someone that hasn't gone through that kind of, you know, let's say path of enlightenment in inverted, inverted yeah. column, uh, commas. So yeah, I mean, she she's just she's just cool. She's wacky. She's yeah. she's a bit out there. She's not afraid to say something different and you know sort of break the the silence in the room. So I just thought, yeah, she's pretty cool. That sounds awesome to yeah. have someone like that. Yeah. Was she then, um, was part of that, her reaction to things like, it's no big deal, there's a way of looking at this? Like, Because um, if I think about my changes of thinking, one was stop reacting to things automatically and just sit with this. And is this actually as important as you think it is? Zoom out was a big one, you know, and then put this into context. Will you remember this moment in a year's time? Is it actually a fulcrum moment of it's going to change your life? Yeah, I mean, she... She's very unflappable, given she's experienced a lot of challenges in her life that you wouldn't necessarily know because of how she's handled it. So I'll give you an example. When I, and, and, you know, this is 
sort of from very early age, I suppose, um, or not so not so early, I suppose as I got a bit older, I, I got accepted onto an internship with GlaxoSmithKline and I was really, really excited about it. You know, all my family were raving about, wow, she's got an internship, it's great, you know, she's gonna she's gonna go on to do wonderful things. And I remember her looking at me and just saying, at what point did you ever feel like you needed to work for one of the largest pharmaceutical companies and do you know enough about them and what they actually do behind the scenes? And I said, not, not at all. I just got this internship and thought, let's accept it. She was like, look into it. You know, and she started sending me loads of these like, different articles. And that's what I mean by different perspective. You kind of get onto this like, tangent in your career, like university, internships, must secure the best graduate role. And she was sat there saying, like, I remember when you wanted to be, you know, an artist and I wanted to be a writer and a journalist. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did want to be that. Like, she was like, why do you want to work for a pharmaceutical company? I thought, I don't. I really don't want to do that. Um, and it actually influenced me to... I did the internship for three months and rather than doing the job after, I went to Asia for six months instead to go and uh, become a hippie. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't, it's not because of that. I think she's just someone that I was incredibly lucky to have to give me a different viewpoint that... I probably wouldn't have considered otherwise. Yeah. Have you read, um, do you know Fight Club, the film? Yes. Do you read the book? No. It's amazing. There's a moment in there, and I think he's in the bath talking to what turns out, actually, I can't ruin it. <laughs> he's talking to uh, Tyler Durden, and he says, you know, um, you, we get told, go to school. He said, I called my dad up. I went, I finished school, Dad, what now? He goes, go and get a job. And I got a job. He goes, I got my job. Now what, Dad? He goes, Get married, and you know, blah blah blah. Yeah. And it's very, it can be very prescriptive. There's, they're almost like signs of social success, like GSK. If someone said, "Oh yeah, I've got my daughter's got an internship there," I'd go, "Clearly, she's got things." You know, that would be my first reaction. Yeah. I wouldn't be asking, "Does she want to go there?" Do you know what I mean? Like, why? She thought about why. Yeah. But it's a really important question. Absolutely. Because you can do things for other people, you know, almost on rails in your life. Yeah. No, she, she. She's never followed a corporate career, so, so I think it's just really important to have different types of people in your life at quite pivotal moments to give you different advice and different points of view. So she started her career off in catering, and she had this amazing experience where she went and toured, and she was you know, touring on a bus. It's not glamorous at all, but with the likes of like Oasis and Cher and U2 and... I had the incredible experience of meeting Backstreet Boys when I was four and, you know, stuff like that. And, and you know, I suppose going against the grain a little bit in terms of challenging my view of, you know, is this just because I've got this offer? It doesn't necessarily mean I need to take it. You know, what else could I do with my summer? Yeah. You know, so it was, it, was just, it was just lucky to have, in terms of someone that's good at life, just going back to your question, I think there's so many ways you could perceive that question, isn't there, like good at life. But I think... The reason I've given you that example is because I think typically you'd probably say someone good at life was someone that followed the traditional route, right? So yeah. uni, marriage, kids, house, all the other societal norms that we we amass as a kind of yeah. markers of success. Yeah, mm. that's a good one. I like it. Yeah. Um, Emma, what does um, dignity mean to you? Dignity. Hmm. I suppose dignity is... It's certainly uh, a privilege. It's not necessarily something everyone has or has access to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, dignity is... That's really not... No one's ever said that to me. That's absolutely right. Privilege. I've never thought about that. Not everyone has the access to dignity, you know. There's lots of different ways of looking at dignity. You can be a dignified person or you can be in a situation where your dignity is almost... You know, you're sort of deprived of it without without wanting to be. 
Um, yeah, there's been suppose, situations I've come across, not necessarily myself, but when you look at you know, someone from a less fortunate background, for example, or some of the charities that I follow, there's certainly a lot of uh, you know, people that, that don't have the, the choice to be you know, dignified, unfortunately. Yeah, that's can, how I perceive the question anyway. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's almost like they can act in that way. They can bring dignity to their, their day, but they may not feel intrinsically like they are being yeah. treated. It's a two-way thing, isn't it, almost, I guess? Yeah. 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 Have, you, have you experienced that in your career? Or your life? Um, oh, yeah, certainly in my career. I work in recruitment, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's certainly been a couple of, I suppose, memorable points of which I would say there's been conversations or situations that have arose at work where I probably felt less dignified without wanting to be. So a conflict of morals? Um, being put on the spot, really, and having that kind of sense of dignity almost removed with, without your consent I think because I think dignity is a feeling that you have it's also a perception of others and what they have about you so you can control the intrinsic feeling but not necessarily the perception of those in the in the in the current moment I think especially when that's a mass view yeah yeah how do you deal with that if if a mass view is not what you would want it to be um I think you deal with it at really I suppose in different ways in different points of your career I think going back to the first example probably you know the way I dealt with it then was from a naive perspective you know you get upset you you don't really escalate anything you you sort of dwell on it for a bit and then you eventually leave and nothing really gets escalated and then I suppose as you get a bit you know I suppose more experienced a bit wiser a bit more confident to raise something in that scenario you can deal with it slightly differently but not always, you know, wisdom and experience doesn't equate to taking action at, at all costs, so... Yeah. Yeah. Without going into too much detail, so you were perhaps treated in a way that you didn't think was appropriate then, in a, in a working environment, yeah. and you thought the best way, I can escalate this or I can leave. Yeah. When you look back on that now, what advice would you... Someone found themselves in that situation, especially if, if, the, um, if we're talking about the audience that we all have on a day-to-day basis, it's investment or fund managers. And um, the large ones really wield a lot of power in their network, their wealth, you know. Um, If someone finds themselves, you know, working for a company like that and they're in that situation, is there anything that you've kind of discovered or, you know, you look back on now and think that could be, I think I'd tell the person this is the right way to deal with it or they should consider these things? Um... Yes and no. So I think, first of all, it's not necessarily a company as a culture, but the individual. Um, I wouldn't say that the company were, were to blame. I think this individual in particular was just someone that, you know, had had something, you know, that he wanted to obviously express at the time. Um, it's interesting you ask this because I think naturally you would want someone to say, yes, of course I would. I would go back in time and I would say this differently and I would do this differently. I think sometimes it's, it comes at a bit of a trade-off. So it depends on who that person is that you're reporting into and what what repercussions you know could take place if you were to raise a situation like that. So um, interestingly, I went to an event the other day um, at M&G, which was for the um, Cultural Awareness Network, and it was absolutely brilliant. It was about how someone from you know a different cultural background, you know, if 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 a racist remark was made as an example, yeah. 
would they call their manager out there and then about it or would they walk away have a think about it would they ever escalate it if it meant that it could potentially have negative repercussion on their career and I suppose it's the same thing here really you know if if in the moment it, it didn't feel right to do that there's nothing wrong with we've kind of taking stock and, and, and going away and, and then maybe addressing it as opposed to kind of you know, striking whilst the iron's hot and saying something you don't necessarily mean. Yeah. It also depends on where you are. Sometimes it's easier just to, um, you know, sort of look at what the situation is and, you know, you pick your battles, don't you, I think, sometimes. It's not yeah. always a case of um, calling someone out. But I think to answer your question back then... I mean, I've always been pretty assertive, so <laughs> I didn't uh, didn't let it go. <laughs> but I decided I wanted to leave anyway, so it was a kind of you know good opportunity to kind of say it's it was not a, really for me. Yeah. yeah, that's just reminded me. I've never, I can't remember. This is the first time I've remembered this. I worked at a financial company. The last one I did before I worked in recruitment, and I've got some stories about that first job as well. And I remember I was in um, I was speak I was on a call center speaking to financial advisors, and in between calls you'd kind of chat to your colleagues and stuff. And um, there was a new uh, person there. It was a girl actually, a young girl, and we were talking about like ex girlfriends. And I said, oh, I went out with a girl, and she was from Pakistan, and she said a, a, a fleeting comment, but she used a really pejorative term. And I just was so stunned that she'd said it to my face with a smile that I went. I just kind of carried on with yeah, my work. Yeah. And then it, I got this massive feeling of like heat and anxiety. And I was like, I think that's really out of order. But I don't know what to do in a professional environment. I reported it to the, the guy at the boss. I was like, mate, she just said this. That's not okay, is it? I felt like I had to check it with somebody else. They reacted really quickly. Within a day, they'd ended, I think she was a temporary worker, but they'd ended her contract. And I felt in this wave of guilt afterwards. Like, was I really that bothered? Especially as being like, I don't know, the feeling from the guys in the team was, come on, mate, what's the problem there? Like, maybe we might say that down the pub, whereas, you know, I definitely wouldn't. But I remember feeling that that was a really weird experience. I just hadn't remembered that until you just said it. But even, yeah, it happened to me even back then. Gosh, that would have been in the early 2000s, 2001, something like that. I think it comes with it being, like, the first situation or the first time you've experienced that. So if yeah. that happened again to you in the future you'd probably recognise that you felt a certain way the first time yeah. and therefore you know how to act second, like dif- differently the next time. And I suppose then, uh, yeah, hopefully as you go through your career, and I'm still you know, fairly early on in my career, so there's, there's inevitably going to be something else that will probably happen in the next decade or, or yeah. know, two decades. And, yeah, you do, you get slightly more... Um, Battle ready. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah, you could say, or just more equipped, let's say. Yeah, you know, you're more informed okay. about what could happen if, if you said this or if you said that to this person or yeah. if you acted there and then versus escalating it through a different, you know, method. Yeah. And ultimately, it comes down to integrity. If you, want, if you don't feel comfortable letting that lie, yeah. then you have to act on it because otherwise you're just going to frustrate yourself more. Yeah. And if actually after a couple of days it, the dust has settled, it doesn't bother you anymore, then sometimes it is just best to just kind of you know, get on with it. So. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, does the world still surprise you? Uh, of course it does, yeah. I mean, if the world doesn't surprise you, I think you're not looking in the right places, right? It's certainly a surprising world, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Positive and negative surprises? Yeah, yeah. That's life, isn't it? I think you take the, the good with the bad, definitely, yeah. Have you sought that then? Because that isn't everyone's life. Some people 
some people lo- like being in routine. They like the comfort of non, not being surprised. Uh, <laughs> Have you actively gone to try and find more of those? Um, I think I'm in constant battle with this, just myself, really, because the minute I get a routine, I'm bored. So I need to, you know, to, to kind of disrupt it as quickly as possible. And then as soon as we're in that really disruptive period, I think, God, wouldn't it be nice just to go, <laughs> just have a bit an easy life, you know, yeah, go yeah, home yeah. and be able to watch the TV all night, not have to worry about all the other things I've got going on and no plans this weekend, be able to sell Monday morning. Yeah, it was just a chilled one, but yeah. it never is that way. And if it is, then I think there's a gap there to fill. And that, yeah. that's, that's a bit of a self-fulfilling issue, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We... Yeah, a good issue. I choose to do it, obviously. I obviously find it fun. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm that into routine. Structure a little bit, yeah. yeah. Know, know what you're going to do that day, but... Does that come naturally to you, structure? Yeah. It does, yeah? Yeah. What were you like kind of uh, as a kid then? Just, just talk us a little bit about, you know, the young Emma and what you thought you wanted to do, let's say, as you were kind of exploring the world, through your family, all these different prisms of you in the world. What did you start thinking, I wanna, I'd like to do that? What's the first thing you had conviction about you wanted to do for a job? So, probably wasn't like most of the girls that would have said your traditional, you know, it depends on what age you, you go, you know, if it's ballet dancer or it's, you know, nurse or teacher examples of, but probably very stereotypical. Um, I do remember quite a, a poignant conversation with my mum at, I don't know, the age of maybe eight or nine, which was, which is the best job you can have? Or something along those lines. Wow. And... That's so and it's telling, really, right? Yeah. For, it depends who you ask that to. You yeah. learn so much from that person. <laughs> Absolutely. And I asked my mum, right? Yeah. So this, and again, it's so, it's fascinating how, a, you know, a quite a fleeting conversation could have such an impact on how the next, like, 10 years played out. So her answers to this were a stockbroker or a chartered accountant. So I just naturally felt like that's what I had to follow in my the next 10 years that it's based on that as an eight-year-old and I remember saying to her I want a really high-powered stressful job in the city stressful. I want a stressful job that's what I was like planning as an eight-year-old it's a totem of success right stress oh, absolutely to me it equated success I don't know why but it just meant if you're stressed and busy you're naturally more successful I completely know now that that is so wrong but I'm eight at this point, so <laughs> cut me some slack. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's how I kind of went about the next few years, I suppose, thinking that's where, that's, you know, what, that's how, you, how you make your money. You go out and you become a chartered accountant. And, and naturally, you know, I went to school and I, I studied a lot of th- things that would have led me down that path, I suppose, and then realised after taking a business management degree, which 40, 45% of, which was accounting, finance, further maths, quantitative maths, all the other things that absolutely made me feel sick. <laughs> Didn't want to be an accountant. So I just, yeah, I suppose went back to my mum and said, oh, I'm not going to be an accountant. Yeah. Update. I don't yeah. blame people for feeling and thinking that. It's all down to how much they've been explained how the world w- kind of works. And, and if it's, it's, easy to, it's easy to look at that, I think, even through the prism of, of newspapers, the way they treat people who do certain jobs, even the words around that. Like, you know, um, if somebody's, uh, you know, injured... Like, it, sometimes people are 
not their job, and sometimes they are there. They're absolutely defined by their job, and it's kind of you know, it's manipulated and used to a pejorative degree sometimes. And so I don't really think a lot of people see that kind of clarity there. Um, I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with seeking a job that maybe, if I think of a finance role at a senior level, there's lots of risk management, there's lots of stewardship of, I guess, people's money. So you're kind of a protector in in some way. So that's that's seen as a good thing. But yeah, it's like as a measure of success. I mean, you, literally, you said nurse, and I'm like, they, so first responders, any of the, you know, the care that we have from fire, from police, nurses, um, through to, you know, any kind of charity work, I'd hold those people, teachers, oh, absolutely. hold them up, number one yeah. in our society. Yeah. They should be the most rewarded, they should be the most equipped and looked after, you know, and, um, so I think you got it right with some of those other ones that you were in your mind. We've got to bring in Ellie at this point because of how we met. And we met at a funeral and um, I met your mum and she said, can we have a chat? Yeah, so um, my dream was to be a stockbroker when I was younger. I'd watched a film, Wolf on Wall Street. Was, um, it, was it actually, it definitely come out at that point then? When did it come out? Yeah. Was it, um, I, it was I can't than... have been... I was quite just young. come out. Yeah, then. I think it was quite new. Yeah. Um, so it was a big hype, and everyone in my class wanted to be a stockbroker. Oh, really? Yeah, all the boys. Um, wanted to be on Quaaludes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought it was like the best job in the world. Everyone was on big boats and in these um, Great Gatsby parties and things like that. So um, that was my dream for a few years. Until did your, I met did you. your, <laughs> did your like, memory just, uh, you know, erased the parts when he was like <laughs> crashing a helicopter you know yeah. and <laughs> not the drug addiction I actually forgot about the that fact before. he was in tears and yeah yeah so um <laughs> wanted to be a stockbroker for a while but that's kind of fizzled now yeah but what happened so so we, so we then had a chat mm-hmm. and you had an idea of what you wanted to do and then you started working with me you were studying law and then you flipped instead of going to uni you came and worked here how was your view now on what success is I didn't tell you we were going to interview you as well, did yeah, I? Yeah, I just didn't know. Um, I, I still don't know. I don't think what success is. I don't think um, I want to be in a very senior job. Um, I want to be happy in my job, I think. Um, so I probably wouldn't chase the money anymore. I think I've always wanted to be very rich. I think I've said that to you since I started. My dream is just to be rich, but it's definitely changed now. It's a lot about where I'm working and who I'm working with and what I'm doing yeah. and not being bored in what I'm doing, Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. That's good. <laughs> like, sorry. It's it doesn't it? I think that's yeah. like the, the markers and the, the almost like how you can identify and, and show yourself that you're evolving and, and you know, you're your perception of success is changing as you're getting older and, and your environments are changing. And I know for me, like, I've always been someone that is, I would class myself as a, a striver. You know, it, once you get to one point, that's that, and then you move on to the next. And not ne- not necessarily everyone is like that, but what I'm starting to realise is that it's it's formulating this, like, destination happiness. So once you've got the degree, once you've bought the house, once you've got the promotion, once you're earning quite a lot of money, you then look at it and think... Okay, but I'm not as happy as I thought I might be once I've reached that destination, and that's a really that's a trap, absolute you know, absolute trap. And I think that it's understanding that it's actually about just enjoying the journey along the way. And and I've I've been you know certainly um, someone that probably didn't understand that for 
best part of my 20s. And, yeah. you know, and I've had some great successes, but I think now it's starting to probably, as Ellie says, like it's not about getting the most senior role or, or, or being, you know, affluent and, and you know, getting the, the best of the best. It's really just about being quite happy with where you are. And, and that's, that's the harder part. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I'd yeah. say a very senior role actually would frighten me now um, because I don't see it as a... It's definitely a positive thing, but there's also a lot of um, negative things that can come with it as well. So um, I think I'm still not um, sure on what What's I'm... negative about that type of role? <laughs> um, I would say, from my point of view at the moment, um, from what I can see... Um, you don't always have the best um, work-life balance. Um, you're, I, I see a lot of people in the city that are working a lot, um, but you don't know what's going on in their personal life, so I could be completely wrong. But from my um, perspective at the moment, I would say that I would prefer a better work-life balance. I find that the definition of... If you, if you take something away from an individual and say, are you still you? So, so you've, you've set up a money girl, your own company and program, which is like, um, you know, developing really quickly and got lots of backing from people whilst having a inverted commas day job, right? That's already quite a lot to do. Um, if someone took away your day job, I feel like that would be fine. If someone took away the money girl piece from you, how does that do you kind of how do you look at the definition of Emma and the things you've achieved? Do you kind of do you associate the, the two together? I think it's I think by the way that this isn't a loaded question because I think you kind of have to be part of that thing at a certain point to develop it. But what do you how do you define your kind of what who Emma is? You know. Yeah, I mean, if I had the the option, you know, it's difficult because as much as I I find. You know, my passion definitely lies in in Money Girl. My career is equally as important. Um, you know, I've spent seven years in in trying to carve out a you know a sort of a, a path for myself, and and that's took you know hard work, and it's it's taken perseverance, and there's been some highs, and there's been some lows, and and that in itself, I think there's lots of like experience to be gained, and and it's certainly been you know just it's been an amazing career to to date. Um, but whether or not, you know, that that's something that I feel like you could potentially say is, is fairly unoriginal compared to what I've set up with Money Girl. And that yeah. is what I think defines me more because yeah. there's so much more that, you know, I can put my stamp on with Money Girl. It's yeah. pretty much whatever I want to make it. And I think that's that's the entrepreneurial side of me rather than the, you know, the sort of nine to five corporate side. So yeah. have you lived a nine to five corporate life then, you think? Um, only one role so far. Okay. I got pretty bored of and then left. <laughs> um, no, so, I mean, I've, I've started my career off in agency recruitment where it was pretty frowned upon if you left your desk before half six, seven in the evenings. Um, and that was what I was accustomed to. So, you know, that's the first job out of university and that certainly wasn't a nine to five. You know, we were of the view that, that was, you know, you were, you were failing if you left any earlier than that, which is absolutely ridiculous now when I look back on it. Um, but when you're 22 years old and you see other people around you that are obviously successful and they're, and they're doing well in their careers and they're still there at seven in the evening, goes back to that work-life balance piece, doesn't it? It's, everything's trade-off. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I've, I've also found, and I think, Ellie, you've, since I've met you, you've always been 
incredibly mature in your um let's say like you have the hindsight without even having it if that makes sense whereas i wish i had that so i've always attributed um as you know earlier when you said what's what what did you want to be when you were younger to me i've always you know quite controversially i think i've had quite a masculine viewpoint on these types of things where i've just thought you've got to be you know it's, it's not that necessarily that i thought those two choices and i chose to be the one that wanted to stay late because i thought that was going to be you know put me in good light it was more that i just always didn't really ever think about the other option i think of like actually having a work-life balance because to me it was all just about working as hard as possible and i think my work ethic's been slightly it's been it's kind of hindered me in some respects at the same time so that's really interesting yeah yeah i think getting balance is really i mean it is the key to everything like an understanding that balance piece yeah. has been a, you know a, a continual work in progress for me and one that yeah. i still haven't i don't think completely mastered it gives me um chills when i see somebody and I've seen this in a company, and I've seen people working in our business with this. They're not here at the moment, <laughs> as in they don't even work here anymore. But where they're at their desk at seven, and I'm like, you need to find a shortcut. Like, mm. this isn't a signal to me or anyone else that you're good at your job. This is a signal that you think this is the only solution you've got to it. Um, I know it's a common phrase, but that Bill Gates one of, I hire the lazy person because they'll find the solution, the workaround that we haven't thought of. That's kind of the stuff that, yeah. you know, I, I, I cheer when I see. I'm like, yes, that, you're doing it well now. Yeah. I mean, I, I've only been in, you know, the corporate world for seven years, right? So there's only a small chunk there. That it, but even though it's only been a small time, like, time frame, I have to say in the last few years, probably two years mostly, I've seen a real shift in that mindset, and that's that's great because, you know, flexible working, you know, shared parental leave, work-life balance, all of these terms, it's not to say that it's working for every company, but there's certainly been a shift in mindset about someone being able to leave at five and pick up their children from school, and that's absolutely fine. It's not yeah. questioned. The work still gets done. And I suppose I don't have children at the moment, so I don't use that as my reason, but my reason is I've completely... You know, I've done everything I needed to do today. Now I need to go and recharge so I'm the best person I can be tomorrow. And that's the bit I completely have never realised, that it's actually about the recharging. So, like, resting is just as important. Yeah, yeah. And I remember hearing things like that before and just thinking, oh, what a load of crap. But actually, I mean, yeah. it sounds like a bit of a, like, you know, I suppose it's like, for me, it's been a bit of an epiphany moment, which it shouldn't be, because it seems quite simple as a, as a concept. But when you've always been someone that's striving to, like, work as hard as possible, yeah. actually having that realisation has just, like, changed changed it up, really. It's changed the way I look at things and, and how I can go, you know, find... I suppose how I fill my evenings and my weekends, that's changed, certainly. It's similar to... Um, I wish Alvin was here. He's... Um, his topic he's highlighting at the moment about um, the hustle, about yeah. how it's been glamorised and how a lot of people my age and Alvin's age, um, the millennials, um, how they are all hustling but burning out. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of similar to that. And Alvin actually mentioned he had a burnout um, in his first year of uni. Um, so it, that's kind of the thing now as well. Absolutely. I'm, you know, not, not scared to say I had a burnout when I pretty much first set up money girl so did you yeah definitely I, I mean i was working 
you know, to try and set up a recruitment function for a very fast-growing asset management consultancy. Yeah. And anyone that's worked in consulting knows that the hours are they're long, you know, and the, the, the expectations high. It's a high octane environment, you know, full of extremely bright individuals, and there's you know the, the work is needs to get done, and you know you're meeting deadlines as a consultant, and you know that kind of fed through to to, to me and, and the team that we were building. So at the same time, you know, stupidly tried to set up a you know, an amazing social enterprise, which required me, you know, trying to find funding and, and setting up things on company's house and, you know, piecing together a website and, and running events on behalf of, you know, some pretty big names in the financial services industry and, and therefore having to deliver on that at the same time. And yeah, I mean, that was, that was tough, really tough. Yeah, to do a job like, like that kind of high intensity, high expectation job, and then to rock up and start two presentations for something that isn't fully formed five years ten years done yeah you're trying to convince people this is what we were doing yeah that just takes a lot of energy and power anyway and lots oh, yeah. of yeah. you know mental yeah you know i think when like so alvin's point i think is absolutely key and it's so relevant at the moment so you see so many things on instagram and twitter about people like building out these side businesses and they're doing that around their day job and they've actually you know they've, they've got it nailed but actually, you know, the other part of that that people don't see is, you know, the sleepless nights and, and the, the burnout and the physical effects it has on your health and the relationships outside of it. And you don't know it before, you know, until you get started. But once you're in the thick of it, it's about... And one thing, Alvin's absolutely brilliant. You know, he's, how old is Alvin? Like 21. 19, 21. Yeah, as a 21-year-old, to have grasped the concept of that balance where you need to be able to... <laughs> You know, get the, all your ducks in a row, and, and each one needs to be as balanced as the next. I think it's absolutely incredible. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't get that when I was that age. I st I'm still struggling with it now. You know, I'm nearly thirty. But yeah, I mean, the, the I think yeah, it's it's that kind of balance about setting up something outside of work and being able to balance the two. Yeah. How's that? Can I ask? Has affected relationships? So the last, have the last three years of your life been some of the most fun? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you had time for kind of, you know, relationships? I mean, everything from a partner to uh, friends to family to keeping up. Have you found, like, that part of your world's been squeezed a little bit into... 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And anyone that says that it hasn't been, I'd, I'd love to do a podcast with. <laughs> <laughs> How they um... managed to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I think once you... I'm inc incredibly passionate about what I, what I want to achieve with Money Girl. And I suppose going back, to, when I took the role on, you know, with I did two and a half years ago in my day job, let's say, I I went into it completely blind. And at the same time, you know, I was fairly new into a relationship. We just completed on a house. Oh, really? I, yeah, I decided to live an hour and a half away and, and do a three-hour round commute. And Was it a nice, is it a green belt? Uh, As it's, in... it's Leon C, so it's oh yeah, nice. It's lovely. Yeah, 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 yeah no, it's Leon in the middle C. of nowhere though. <laughs> yeah, the, the um, it's not conducive it? to uh, someone that works in the city doing you know those sort of hours. I don't no. know. No. What's that nice restaurant down there on the thingy called the White One? Uh, it's got a little um, Oliver's on the beach, Roslyn. No, it's called like the the port or something or the. Gosh, Oyster really... Shed. No, I've been to the Oyster Shed where you bring your own drink. <laughs> Is that the one? That's on Mersey, isn't it? 
Oyster shit? No. Or maybe it's called something else. Oh, I'm thinking something else. Sorry, <laughs> it's really boring for a podcast <laughs> if you don't live in Leon C. No, it's in Leon C. Completely ignore the last 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, yeah, what, if, what happened there then? So, you, had the, you got the house. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm as honest as it comes. So, relationship broke down and um, we still own the house and we, we rent that out. So, I've moved back to London, which is where I'm from. Um, it's been a, been a nice kind of change because I'm not used to doing the commute and you know for me I see it as like an opportunity cost you know what can you really achieve in an hour and a half commute when the wi-fi is down and the trains are slow and there's there's lots of things like that that I just Mm -hmm. see as it's a hindrance you know and and actually the reason we moved there was because it would be nice to have a a balance on the weekend to you know live by the sea and it was all very novel but you know I was away from my family and friends for uh, you know, considerable amount of time, and actually, yeah. when you're so burnt out, you don't have the desire to go and enjoy those moments by the sea, and you're just trying you have to this recharge. Idea. Yeah, you're completely right. Everyone builds that into when we're here, we'll be doing this. But if you don't have that balance as well, you won't be able to make the most of it. You won't be. You may not be in a good mood. <laughs> you, yeah. mean, you won't be able to go exactly. outside and socialise when you're, you know, constantly chasing your tail. By yeah. the time you get to Saturday. You know, it's not just always that, is it? You've got family events you need to attend, and there's always a, you know, another obligation that you need to do. And you know, we also took on the challenge of trying to renovate the house as well, which was you know, just another thing on the, the list, really, that you know, you're sort of living in a house that's not quite finished. And yeah, I mean, it was tough, really tough, but I mean, we're still on really good terms, so that's the main thing. Do you feel like you're learning the, like, the most about yourself with all of this? And I'm going to use the word conflict. I don't mean bad conflict, but conflict as in things are jutting up against one another. You're having to, you know, make things understood. You're having to kind of convince people of doing stuff. You're having to keep jobs together. Do you feel like you're, this is the most... This is the challenge it's ever been. And I thought being in the library at, like, 4am trying to get this first-class degree was going to be tough, but... Absolutely not. You know that 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 wasn't that was that was tough because you're, you know, you you want to ensure you get the best result for the hard work you're putting in for that particular moment. So you know you've spent a lot of money on your you know education. You're in a in, you know an environment where it's quite fairly competitive. You know no one wants to turn around and say I failed. Um, and ultimately you know that that number on your CV, you know if it's a two one or a first or a two two or you know ultimately dictates whether or not you get the job after university you know, but at least it's how the regard that you yeah. you hold against a degree at the time because you're none of the wiser but that compared to living adult life gosh yeah <laughs> take, take me, me back, back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so looking at the difference between the two now do you think your degree was worth doing oh such a good question um I mean, yes, yes, it was. But what do you mean by that? Before I say anything more, you <laughs> you kind of define what I mean by that, really. Okay. Um, was it worth doing if you went back now? So I'm not. By the way, I'm not saying I had it planned because I I lucked out with relationships and timing many times in my life, and I squandered lots of opportunities. But I didn't go to university. I got kicked out of basic college. I didn't achieve any proper grades. I got like five GCSEs, and. Um, I just had the ability to... Uh, this is what I say to people, but it's true. I kind of... The, I got a job in a call centre because I spoke to a degree that they were... OK, yeah, you can come in. That was it. <laughs> and then I kind of found my way through from there. And everyone that works here, except for me and you, Ellie, mm-hmm. went to university and got at least a 2-1, if not a first, 
and we've got law grads, we've got economics grads, first class, you know. And I look at that, and you said first class, and I immediately looked at you and go, yeah, cool, she got a first class, she's great. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I look at it with admiration. I don't I'm think a good it's... liar then. <laughs> no, <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's something to say, uh, yeah, yeah, don't bother with it. But I am interested in the practical experience and how you've changed and how you've dealt with it and what that shows as a testament of, you know, without sucking up to you too much, uh, mm-hmm. of, of what kind of person you are. And then going back to the days where it was more driven by this, you got three years, this is our measure of your success, you know. Because even Stephen Fry said he was good at passing exams. He didn't think that... He understood the, the way to pass an exam, yeah. and he did it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did a broad degree, so I think that concept of passing exams is, is certainly one that would apply to me. Um, you know, it would be very different if, I, if I'd have done a degree which was going to dictate the career I took after. So I know, you know people that have taken a degree in you know, quantity surveying or, or they've taken a, a degree in accounting, and that's what they've become. Slightly different when you take a degree in business management because... You know, what do you where do you go? You could so many things you could do after that, right? And I think one of the biggest things I found difficult after leaving university, and I think most people would probably vouch for this, is you are part of an institution for the best part of your your childhood, and you get to twenty one, and you, you you know at the end of your you know expected education, you obviously go on to do further education, but most people don't. At that point. It, you know, it world's a blank page. And it's how you fill it, and that's where the pressure starts coming in. So it's once you're in this, you know, you're in a container for three years where you're on campus. You are. You're in like a tub of just other people <laughs> that are just walking around, not knowing. That's a bubble, isn't it? And then you know, you find that it's it, you've got that that kind of you know your life's in brackets, right? And at the end of that, you know, bracket, full stop. It's about how do you then go and define it after that? That's 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 pressure, you know. And I think. Yeah, it was definitely worth doing a degree. I'm lucky that I, I got in, I think, a year or two before the fees went up. It's still, you know, 30 grand debt, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's become part and parcel of what I earned, so that's, that's not necessarily an issue. Um, yeah, I, I think it was worth it for lots of different reasons, not just because you can put it on a degree, uh, on your CV. It's because, for me, it was about forming my independence, you know, the opportunity to move out and and go and live life on my terms, you know? You didn't have to tell anyone where you were after 10 p.m. And where that was the you? best part. <laughs> oh, lots of places. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also held down, like, three jobs whilst I was there. So where I was actually at 10 p.m. was in Domino's Pizza. <laughs> walked out of there smelling of dough and then went clubbing. It was great. <laughs> Meeting people going, I fancy getting a pizza. Do you yeah. Know? I don't know why I, I feel don't. like that. Stick of pizza. <laughs> No joke, I love pizza. <laughs> Emma, yeah. my wife used to work in Domino's, and we're both obsessed with designing our own pizza still. <laughs> she worked there for like eight years. Did she? Yeah, yeah, from like 14 all the way through. Do you know what? It's not a bad part time job, right? People used yeah. to really knock it because obviously you've got to wear that uniform, right? And that, right. that did not. Wow. Score Thanks me. for choosing Domino's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, low point. I remember working in the Baker's <laughs> Arms one, and there used to be a bus stop outside. And I remember all like the boys from school, they'd be on the top deck of the bus, and you could look into the store. Sure. And you would just see me there with my little cap, and oh, it was just not great for street cred. But they used to pay like really good hourly wa- wages, and yeah. that's what I was interested in. I, yeah. You know, I didn't want to work in somewhere else that was paying the minimum wage. It's really, it was a really good little job. Yeah, you could negotiate more hours really easily. Did yeah. five shifts a week. Loved it. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a cred now. 
<laughs> I love it. So my perception, Ellie, I don't know if yours was this, if people who go to university have purpose, they have the, I'm here, I'm doing university, I'm with all these people, we're going to go off into the world and proliferate and just do a great job. I was always quite envious of that purpose they seem to have. Yeah, yeah I am... Um... The only thing I'm sad about with not going to uni is um, how you mentioned the life skills that you learn and moving out and everything like that. I was only going to go to uni because of that reason, to move out and go oh, through yeah. those um, life experiences. But it's just so difficult now to go to uni with all the fees and everything now. I'm more... I would rather have the money and get the experience. I think you um, get ahead more in your career just going straight into... Um, a job now that might be a controversial statement but I think I've done really well going straight from college to uni but I do um I do envy the life experiences that some of my friends will be going through yeah. but I'm not I'm still at home and everything I would love to move out you could Can't argue though yeah but you could argue like you you'll have the money to do like you could take a sabbatical you take six months to a year out you could self-fund that do you know what I mean not a lot of people would be able to do that I, t I went on a, a, a year travelling and I had to do it at 25. I'd save up for like a couple of years to, to get to do that. But I enjoyed it. I think I definitely appreciated world travel a bit later on in my life. I don't know, I, mean, I, don't know. I can't actually compare it, but I remember thinking like, I know what working in an office job for an investment manager, doing everything from envelope stuffing to fixing computers to doing all this stuff was like. And I was so pleased that I was in, uh, you know, China and and all over Malaysia. And That's stuff the good like. thing about doing it a bit later as a twenty-five-year-old because you've 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 almost like you've earned this appreciation for going out and doing something so totally different to what you do day to day. Yeah. And it's funny you say that. So I went, um, my boyfriend, and I was at uh, university after we went together to Thailand for six months around Asia in uh, sort of Cambodia, Vietnam. He had by this point had already worked. He didn't go to university for about five years. And he was so he took that experience so differently to me, really? and, and much to my my own kind of you know I suppose consciousness at the time, I felt like I needed to get back into the world and, and start my career. Yeah. So each time I went to a new country, in the back of my mind, yeah. I thought I'm not earning any money, I'm yeah. not carving my way out in the world, I'm not making a mark, I've got no purpose, I'm just gallivanting around Cambodia. What am I doing? Like I'm, I'm wasting time. <coughs> Whereas when I look back on it and think, God, that mindset's I don't always think that. But when you're slightly older, yeah. you can look at it and think, God, what a privilege to be here. How lucky I am to be yeah. able to just to go and explore the world. Because yeah. you've almost, And it's the same thing with university, I think. You do, going back to that bubble piece, yeah. you go into the world after university, you've got such expectations set. You know, and unfortunately, they just start to you know, they're kind of be lower as, as, they, as they go along. <laughs> yeah. But yours, you know, on the other side, will, will hopefully only sort of creep up. But... That is the downside of university as well. Cause not, not, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a job out of uni. And I think some people equate having a degree with, you know, guaranteeing a role. And the comp what doesn't get taught at university and schools is that, you know, sales and negotiation, how you sell yourself, is is like what eighty percent of it. I think, you know, you see on a CV that you've got a certain grade, great, but. If you can't back that up in an interview and you, you're not selling yourself and your character as a person, you're going to get, I think, the character piece far quicker by getting out there and working in the world and you know meeting new people than you would be in a library somewhere trying to yeah that's true put an essay together yeah yeah yeah. 
What do you look back on in your... Um, do you have, I mean, it, this is a very difficult question to answer because it requires Thanks, you... Thanks, <laughs> I think you're up to it. Um, is to go back and look at moments, and it could be a negotiation, it could be a person that gave you a block. It could be a person who says, I don't believe in you, I don't actually think you're professional, whatever it may be. Um, um, or you're not for us, that type of thing. Um, is there a person or, or a moment that you look back on and go, that was important? whether it was a negative or a positive, that was part of me. There's been lots of times like that. Yeah, quite a lot, actually. Um, I suppose I'm, I'm going to sound really desperate when I say this. So we were at an event um, where we, I was part of something called Students in Free Enterprise. I'm taking back to an example when I was at university. And what we did there was we ran projects for, it was an inter-university competition, ultimately, where we presented at the end of the year on projects that we've run around the world to help people that are less fortunate. So one of the um, projects was based in Sierra Leone, and it was about helping farmers to yield more, more crops and how we did that and the sort of, you know, water retention and, and how we got water into the country and how we publicised that, how we fundraised, all of that wow, side of it. a whole business around it. There's a whole, it's a whole, like, yeah. you know, a whole industry, really, when you, when you think about it. And, yeah. and then we went and presented to other universities on, on which projects, you know, had most social impact, for example, or, or you know, KPI and mm. all the other things. Um, and there was a lady there at the time. She worked for Mars, so Mars being but Mars Bar, and yeah. also owned like uh, Dolmio and yeah. other things. People I didn't know, like I didn't know they owned, yeah. you know, spaghetti sauce, yeah. um, but they do. Uh, and she was going around with the, you know, looking back now, incredibly pretentious way of hiring. But you know, if that's what what, what got her the right people in. But she had six golden tickets on her. And these golden tickets were internships for those that she saw at these presentations that were able to articulate themselves well, were fairly quite you know, business-minded, commercial, intelligent, you know, all the rest. And they were meant to be for penultimate year students, so those that are graduating the year before. And I was a final year student. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I remember standing there thinking, if I don't go and convince her, I... I deserve this this internship. I'm never going to be able to get in if I apply online because I haven't gone to you know one of these red brick universities. Most people would have gone to New Durham's, your know, Exeter's, Warwick's, Cambridge. You know, I went to University of Essex, so uh, applying for an internship online, you know, looking back on it now, was a bit of a waste of the time because there's certain things people look for on CVs, and maybe they don't now. That's I, mean, I work in recruitment, so that's a whole new, another conversation. But I knew that I could probably persuade her on the spot. I should get a ticket. Um, so pretty desperate attempt. Uh, that sounds quite a bold attempt. I don't, the desperate is not the word I think of. Um, I think quite confident and yeah. Yeah, because I think I knew there and then that we were, you know, we were competing. You know, Southampton University won every year, and the close seconds were, you know, King's College and and you know Newcastle and Nottingham, and we were we were on lower ranks at University of Essex, so we really had to do close something bold to, <laughs> yeah. to stand out. Um, and I remember her saying if you just don't shut up and leave me alone, you can have this ticket. Or if you do shut up and leave me alone, you can have this <laughs> ticket. Um, and I just remember saying, thank you so much. She grabbed the ticket out of her hand. Um, and it was a go actual golden ticket. So it was like a Willy Wonka moment. It's so corny. But yeah, so I thought, wow, amazing. And then she turned, she tapped me on the shoulder as I kind of ran off because I hadn't even had a chance to really close the conversation. And she said, Emma, you do realise where this is? I said, where? She goes, it's in Leicester. I said, 
where's Leicester? She went, nowhere near here. And I said, don't worry, I'll sort it out. So within about six weeks, I had to find accommodation, moved to Nottingham. Um, and yeah, that's, that was that next internship. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. So she actually was all right? Yeah, she's lovely. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were painting her as she was going to be mean. That's <laughs> no, amazing. No, no, I think she just, I mean, I talk a lot, so she probably just thought, please just take this ticket and That's I great. hope you never see you again. <laughs> 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 but I think the point of that is, I know I didn't really answer the question there, but I think sometimes you have to really understand that it's, it's, a, it's people like people and they, yes. you know, and they want to work with people that they like. Totally. Not necessarily, you know, looking at a CV and thinking, oh, this person's got great, you know, academics and great credentials so I suppose anyone listening to this this podcast that has you know a similar sort of background to myself and Ellie and Alvin especially because we went to the same university there are going to be times where you will be looked uh, you know past because of the type of degree you've got or the type of university you've been to or where the area you've grown up and that that is just the way the world works right but I think that sales negotiation piece and being bold is is I think what's got me most things and I think the second point you said about have I ever been rejected yes so when I was at university definitely wanted to work for you know a highly acclaimed big four for example or one of the top 10 and being wanting to be an accountant when I was younger thinking you know wanting to work for Ernst & Young I applied for an agency I got told I was too young for the role um, knowing full well that it was a role I could definitely do um, so completely took myself out of the process and then applied directly on LinkedIn when I met with the hiring manager and I could tell she was in that pivotal moment where she's thinking, I think you're too junior. For how, how old were you? 24. And oh. I suppose the average age of the team was probably 30. Oh, OK. Um, I went in on about 15 grand less. I absolutely knew that. I didn't mind. Um, it, it was just the case of knowing that if I got EY on my CV, one, I proved to myself that I can get in. That was yeah. probably more the reason. Yeah. And secondly, because, you know, once you've got a name like that on your CV it wouldn't take me long to catch up post that moment but yeah I definitely remember sitting there um if she if she ever listens to this her name is Amanda Roston she's head of UK hire at uh, UI um and I remember her sitting there thinking I could see that moment where she thought I could really say no because I think she's probably too junior and absolutely convinced her otherwise and I remember saying something really cheesy like I won't let you down Amanda that's (laughs) That's quite a personal connection Yeah. yeah yeah Well, I committed there and then. It was like a case of, you know, I'm not going to let you out of this room. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. I'm not that, not that bad. But. but I think that's important. We, we got a deal recently. We, we definitely were the less equipped in this area. And we said our piece, Craig and I, and I just said, well, I'm going to just tell this guy what I feel. I said, listen, I've admired your company for about five years. We've worked with all your smaller competitors. If you gave this to us, we wouldn't quit until we, we got it done, and we would do it, we would pay it number one attention. I'd turn down business to complete this. And he, he big, smart American guy, big smile, and he just, he, and he said afterwards, he went, the conviction you both had in this was important, not just another bit of work to pitch for. But a, a moment is created then between two human, not to make it sound too grand, but two human beings, which is like, trust me, I'm not going to... I'm not making this up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And I would take that all day long. I'd take conviction and personal connection over skill, actually, because I've seen where skill ends. It's yeah, like, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, character and, and life experience comes in at that point. And that's, yeah. that is really key. Yeah. Do you think you'll be good at hiring people into your future company, companies? 
I don't know. It's a really difficult one. I do quite a lot of interviews, obviously, in my career. <laughs> um, done a lot of interviews, sorry. Um, it's different, isn't it, when it's something personal, when it's your own baby, compared to when you're hiring on behalf of someone else. So, I don't know. We'll wait and see. I'll let you know. Have to have them in the role for a while, don't you, to know if they're going to work out. But yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully. <laughs> I think the people side of any business is absolutely you know it's incremental to whether or not you you make or break so yeah and that's totally. why i enjoy my job i suppose my my corporate job because yeah. it, you know I, I can see the value that it it adds um but yeah whether or not i'm good at doing that for myself i don't know if you had to quit every all this stuff and walk away from money girl walk away from the city what kind of job would you, i say the financial city i mean what job do you think you'd do? And let's also say that money wasn't an issue. Let's say you can get as much money as you want, but you can do something you're really interested in. That's your first decision. Um, i thought about this many times. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, of course you do. When you're on the commute thinking, oh, my God, this is miserable. Um, no, I, I think one thing I've always said I'd like to do is to own a guest house. Um, I'm... <laughs> bit of a Mary Poppins outside of the uh, normal day to day, so I love hosting and love really? cooking. Yeah, I, I've you know, OCD about my tidiness, and I love I love introducing and welcoming people into my you know into my home, and I think that would, I'd just absolutely love to do that. You know, seeing things like four in the bed, and yeah, you know, I don't want four people strangers in my bed. But, <laughs> you know, like come dine with me. All yeah, that kind of like stuff. that type of thing. I love that. I love bringing people together and just making people happy in that setting, knowing that. You know, on my watch, you've had a great night tonight. You know, I love, I love doing that. So if I was not, you know, if money wasn't an object, object, then hopefully this won't be something that I, you know, too far in the future. It would be having a really, you know, quaint little guest house somewhere that I can be a, you know, a little. Frinton uh, on Sea. Yeah, a little Mary Poppins or Some something. Weird I don't know. Place Some up weird the place. East Coast. Yeah. Somewhere like that's going to actually attract uh, <laughs> tourists. <laughs> I don't know, I haven't really thought that far into it yet, but I don't know, somewhere like cute, like Broadstairs maybe, or somewhere like that, yeah. Like a, so it's like a caretaker part of you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Where'd you get that from? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Do you see it growing up? Do you not have that job, a nurse or a... I don't know, actually. It's a really good question. I think it's... I would say it's like a protector thing. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from, though. There's, I've got quite a few different masculine traits, I think, that come into play every now and again. And not to say that's not a feminine trait, because obviously the caregiving piece is. But, mm. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it, I'm just a nice person, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Self-affirmed nice yeah, person. I don't know. I don't, my mum's always like been someone that's... Um, uh, you know, and equally, my dad, in some respects as well, they, they put everyone before themselves in a, in lots of respects. You know, and I think that's probably what I've I've just observed growing up. You know, it's sort of probably just for osmosis that I've thought that that's what you do. You know, you put your your people that you care about before yourself in some regards, and you do the best job you can for them. And and you know, I've come from a family that don't have a lot but but give a lot. And, yeah. and that's really key for me. You know, I think I've always seen that. So is that your community? Is it Walthamstow? So I grew up in Leighton. I was born, technically born in Walthamstow. Okay. Um, so born in Whips Cross Hospital, which I think is in Leightonstone. Um, 
Whip's Cross is well known, yeah. I was born in Dagenham, I found out the other day. You? you found out the other day? Yeah, well, <laughs> by, by opening my passport and reading Dagenham. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought mine was Baz for many years. <laughs> oh, really? But, but it's not, but yeah. It's, it's, well, mine uh, says Walthamstow, but... Daggers. That's what it says on my passport, anyway. Yeah, Who yeah. Knows? But yeah, and then grew up and in Leighton. And then grew up in Leighton. Yeah. So what was that community like? Was it like that? Was it looking after each other? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I'm an only child, so for me, like, I, I kind of... I suppose, formed relationships with people um, and placed more emphasis on those relationships because I didn't have brothers and sisters to, to necessarily fall back on. So, yeah. yeah, your community and your friendships, I placed, you know, incredible value on growing up, which I think is why I've got a really good network of friends. So, yeah. I am interested in um, only kids, as in, like, people who've had that growing up. It's really interesting. You find... They tend to be quite interesting characters. They tend to be quite independent. So, um, and also, you're the eldest of four, Ellie, aren't yeah. you? That's another. That's another interesting one Is as well. Is that four brothers? Or, sorry, three brothers. No, three so sisters. I have two sisters and one brother, all younger. Um, one is eighteen, so really close to me. Um, the other one is fourteen, um, and then the youngest is seven. So quite wow. big age. Yeah, he gets smothered with love. He gets smothered. <laughs> I'm, you... I'm all of them second mum. Yeah, you would have been, a, you know, in a way, moved away from being the focus fairly early on. Yeah, and then straight you away. almost <laughs> straight away, and then you almost took up the same shop as your your mum, role as your mum. Then I guess, yeah, yeah like you say. So my um, my sister always says, "Why do you always have to get involved in everything that mum's saying?" Like, you're, oh, do you that, stand you're not on my mum. Yeah, you're time. not my mum. But yeah, <laughs> you're I'm, my mother. Yeah, they all say the same. Um, Best so I've, I've, quote ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I feel like I've become a protector, similar to you, but from having so many siblings, yeah. so protective. Yeah. It's made me not want kids in a way. I said to my mum, I was like, I literally first... don't want a child now. <laughs> so one of the first two things you said to me in, in like year one. I want to marry a rich man. When I was like, <laughs> you can be rich here. And then secondly, it was, I want loads of kids. Yeah, and I wanted my first child by 21. So <laughs> in a few months' time, <laughs> now I can think of anything worse because just seeing them go through things, I'm like, gosh, I really, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like if it was my own child. They're not even my children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Do you think you've got a good work-life balance? Um, yeah. I think so. By the way, for the record, <laughs> I am her boss. <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy to hear the answer because I'm interested in that. I, I think that's really important. Yeah, no, we do work really hard. Um, I work harder than, like... Oh. <laughs> Your friends? <laughs> Not work harder. So I know my friends work really hard, actually, for what we all do. Um, but I obviously work longer hours um, and I'm definitely a lot more stressed. Um but I can definitely... Um, That's this year, isn't it? Yeah. Because you've stepped because, up. Yeah, I'm going through a lot of big things for, for my age, I would say. Um, yeah. You're looking after roles that 30-year-old consultants would be looking after. Yeah. Like, you know. And I think it's quite a big thing to have on your shoulders as well. I always say, like, you're getting someone their next job in their career. I think that's a really big thing. Some people don't um, perceive recruitment as a very important role, but I think... You could be getting someone the really next big pay well, thing, which can change their life. Yeah. I think it's a really big thing. Um, it is. So I do see it as that. Um, but, yeah, no, once I get home... Um, sleep. 
Yeah. Well, now I get in, I go, oh. Like, literally, the, my dad comments every day. He's like, every day you get through the door and you go, oh. Because it's just like <laughs> everything comes off my shoulders. But I do immediately switch off. Yeah. So uh, exactly. I do have a good work-life balance. I, th- I think that's important on the individual to be able to, like, how do I put this? I don't want to obviously get anyone into trouble here either. <laughs> I've definitely been around people in my life. This is not you, Emma. Uh, definitely around people in my life who bring their work into an environment where they're not going to get any answers. They're just simply processing it out loud. And I really, especially when we hire people, I want to hire people who are creative, who can do something with their spare time. So you do loads of stuff, and you've been doing stuff with charities recently, but you literally, you're always planning to do things with your friends. You travel the world, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. That's important. That's the... If there's one thing that, you know, a, a role that pays, um, you know, congruent with your hard work, that gives you, it gives you the optionality to do that. But you need to have a brain to know how to use that as well. Plus, you also need to... The School of Life came over here, you know, Alan de Botton's, uh, you know, uh, project with a number of people. And a lot of it was about, you know, look to yourself and your own language and your own way of viewing the world first before you start solving it with other people. Yeah, that's a good kind of... Do you, what were you like as a, a, an early worker? Were you just like completely focused on work or did you go out a lot as a young person? Do you kind of, did you think you balanced that, those years of like graduated and then you're into your mid-twenties? Do you think you did that well? Um, so I, I don't think I did the, the kind of typical like wait until you go to university to go out. And oh. whilst I was at university... I made the absolute most of going out. You calmed down. <laughs> no. Oh right, <laughs> sorry. Not. Oh, you didn't. Sorry. Okay, sorry. I think no. you, said you went out before a lot before. It was pretty crazy for you. I mean, it was, yeah, it was crazy before that, and a crazy okay. at university. <laughs> um, I was the type of kid that like got the the you know the fake ID and well, it wasn't fake. It was real. It just wasn't mine. Yeah, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> didn't look at anything like me. It's um, real. It's, yeah, just not mine. it's just not me. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I went out lots when I was, you know, pre-university, so 16, 17, 18. Um, you know, hung around with people that were, were slightly older than me and, you know, had very laid-back parents and, you know, it was, it was great. It was a great time. Um, so I didn't feel like I was rebelling, let's say, once I got to university, so I didn't have that kind of, like, outburst of, like, I yeah. must make the most of this, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, went to university, did all the dress-up nights, out five nights a week, you know, standard type of university stuff, like two hours of contact time and you know, it was just, yeah, I don't know what I spent all that money on for my degree really but yeah it was it was it was good three years and I suppose when when I left uni I then went and did the six months traveling yeah. and I, I I suppose I did have a good balance but I I didn't really see you know going out after work as as the as the priority yeah um I did because obviously we was we worked in recruitment so there were did lots of socializing outside of work it would come come kind of a part and parcel of the role but yeah I, I certainly have been to lots of places always fit in a city break always you know, try to go on a nice holiday and yeah. um yeah I mean I've, I've still had a good balance it's not been just work um but what was I like early stages of my career yeah I was definitely the studious one like the get your head down work all the hours that you can yeah that's what I thought was the right thing to do at the time for sure yeah. That's interesting. But you didn't have any people... What were your, your friends were like that as well then? Did you hang out with the studious friends? Um, I've got a really eclectic friendship group, so that's... I don't know. They're, they're all very different. Do you mix them? 
I've tried to. Doesn't work. It sometimes does. <laughs> there's been there's been a couple of occasions where it's worked brilliantly, and yeah. there's been a couple of occasions I won't repeat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I'm the only one here who wants you all to get on. Yeah, like please, desperately, just talk to each other. <laughs> be, be nice, nice to each other. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's normal. I mean, my I am the I suppose sum of a, a very um, unique path. So you know, the friends I have from home. You know, I went to a, a you know a school at bordered Hackney, and, and I then went on to a grammar school, which was in probably the most affluent part of Essex. And then where was that? In Woodford. Woodford. Woodford County Grammar School for Girls. And then went on to university. So obviously you're sort of mixing with people that have gone to university, and then you you know fling yourself into the city and working with asset management firms, and you get a whole new bunch of friends. You know, so when you're trying to combine those four groups, that's that's difficult. Yeah. yeah, but that, that is the sum of me, of who I am, I suppose. So I go from street to city and interchange <laughs> that pretty quickly. So, yeah, I adapt to my environment. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, has happiness and success run concurrently for you, do you think, in your life? No. No. Does it? Does it always, do you think? I don't know. I think happiness is something you may perceive mostly in retrospect. I think if I think about my life, this is, sounds really sad. <laughs> I think actually, if I count the moments of I'm, I definitely in my last five years done more. Hang on, how do I feel now? I feel really happy. Like I'm really happy now, and I can literally just be watching Manhunt Unabomber on the sofa with my wife, you know, some detective series. And I'm like, oh, I'm really happy, and she's like, Yeah, yeah, life is great. I'm like, Yeah, um, but I think you kind of need sometimes <laughs> if you're saying that on your own. <laughs> I'm I love that checking point. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do we, we do practice that kind of gratefulness, I think, uh, me and my wife a lot. So it's just standard now. We go, look, we're so lucky to have the life we have. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and take that moment to take it all in and think about what those words really mean. And I think I'm less, so I'm less frantic now, but I think if I look back at my life before then, I can't think of many moments of genuine happiness. There are probably excitement or... Uh, yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, and it I goes think... back to Ellie's point about what you perceive in as success, really, doesn't it? Because yeah. if you know, I think Ben asked you if you know what success is, and I think you said not at the moment. I, no. I don't know how to define. I think it's that. a really great answer, actually, because yeah. I think that's pretty much it's always that. Then out of the cloud, sorry to take over. Out yeah. of the cloud, something might emerge, and you go, "Yeah, it's that," and then it might goes back into the cloud again. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. But if you if you're not sure how you're defining success, and for me that's been a work in progress, and success and how you define it changes as you get older and, and your circumstances change. Um, so you know, for example, success might be getting a promotion when you're 28, but actually success might be being the best mum come 33. As an example, massive generalisation, but just as a you know your 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 markers for success change quite dramatically, and I think your happiness therefore. You know, it, it changes as and when your success changes. So you might not really be as happy, you know, as as, as kind of you know, working in your career as you are when you're in your 30s and 40s, as you are actually doing something like being in a guest house. You know, something something yeah. slightly different. So for me, the reason I asked, I answered that quite flippantly, is because to me, before realizing or understanding, I need to work out what success means to me success meant hard work it meant stress it meant you know 
doing the best you could possibly do and, and, and really pushing your limits, sometimes beyond your limits, you know, and that's where that kind of equaled that burnout piece, which naturally obviously doesn't equate to happiness. It equates to feeling pretty anxious and, and sometimes episodes of depression and, and just feeling constantly tired and exhausted. You know, so to me, does happiness and success run congruently, I think was your question. At, at this stage of my life, it hasn't normally, it hasn't done but I would like to think it would. And that's because I haven't really sat down before and thought, what do the two mean in isolation? and How do you bring them both together? Yeah. You know, like buying a house, for example, you think that's successful because everyone and their dog wants to buy a house. Yeah. But once you're actually in the process of buying one, you think, God, this isn't actually that... I'm, am I happy? Like, is this happiness? You know, and you get into it. <laughs> well, the process isn't happiness. No, but not, like, not at all. But the, you know, the process is, is definitely part of it all, right? And, and then, you know, you get into the house and you... And, you know, it's, you, it's momentary, like, momentary happiness. It, well, like, it depends how you define happiness. Is it that intrinsic contentment versus <laughs> is it that moment of excitement like you just described? Right. So this is the other sad thing, and I see this played out every single day. My foresight of or my hope of something that's going to happen is obviously more exciting than getting it. It's like the shopper's remorse type thing, right? Mm. <laughs> I've bought a house. I've just spent a million pounds. Yeah, it's a bit different you to know? like your uh, <laughs> consumer thing at the checkout where you think, oh, I'll just put that extra chocolate yeah, bar whack, in, the, in the... point of sale, yeah. egg or something in there. Can't go a house <laughs> <laughs> But if you're... Um, I mean, that's, that is... A, that, uh, Probably that's the, the human nature, isn't it? We we are very good at normalising life. So if life is incredibly luxurious, to use your phrase, <laughs> uh, Ellie, then you that becomes your normal, yeah. And if life is hard working, stressful, that becomes your normal. And if life is uh, in a prisoner of war camp, to a degree, that becomes your normal. You find a way of rebalancing the world, and that's that endless struggle of. You, know, you see people who are, I'm not saying Rupert Murdoch is this, but if you know what he did when he first came to um, England, he almost had some really cool ideals. He wanted to break down, or he seemed to want to break down, the government that was corrupted and, um, you know, lots of, you know, they were doing things that, um, and they were protecting each other, and he wanted to smash that. He wanted to almost smash the royalty and all that kind of thing. But then he went off on this weird tangent to become this almost everything he hated. That's like the old school hero story, isn't it? They go out, they set out to do the, the right thing, they get corrupted, they become the thing they hate. And, and um, I think knowing when to stop is probably the most important thing. Knowing when to go, this is a game, I've done as much as I'm going to do today, and do you know what? If X, Y, and Z, I can't control all these human beings in the world, especially in the job that involves relationships and sales and forcing things together, making them happen and all that kind of thing, trying to, you know... You at some point have to turn around and go, like you said, switch off. I'm going to go in now. I'm just going to watch Love Island, eat this chocolate <laughs> egg, the entire egg, and, and not worry about it. Have you, got, have you managed to do that in your, yeah. in your mind? Good. Yeah. You, that's good. I think you got there early then for a lot of people. Because some people do it at like 50 and go, I've wasted my life. Yeah. No, I don't know. It's like, I think I had a bit of a, like a enlightening moment, I think, at the start of this year. So I resigned from the the job that I described that I was in for just over two years, and I I got put on gardening leave, which you know it, it kind of came at me very quickly. I wasn't really expecting it. I suppose you're then sort of thrusted into this unexpected scenario where you're you know sat on your sofa whilst your friends and partner are at work, and yeah. you're just really having to sort of sit with your own thoughts for 
you know, a considerable amount of time. Um, and it, it really then made me realise, you know, I can see things a lot more clearly. You've taken myself out of the... You know, sometimes you don't need, like, a spa or a holiday. And I, I read this book quite recently. It's, it's definitely... Um, it's actually <laughs> written by Janet Street Porter. Oh, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, you seen her house? No, I haven't. She designed her own house. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So this book... So you wouldn't necessarily, I suppose like, think of Janet Street Porter as the sort of books you go to when you need a bit of, like, self-help, right? I, I kind of like her, actually. I know I, a bit about her. I think her. she's bloody great, yeah. right? So when she's on Loose Women, she, she's the only one I naturally sort of gravitate to because I just think, you just say it how it is. I love it. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's controversial. Some people don't like that because don't like really hearing, I think, that, that point of view. But this book is so good. So it's, it's called Life's Fucking Short and what you're going to do about it. Nice. Um, and I just remember sitting there and thinking the same thing, and, and lots of these points came up, which were, you know, what, what are you, why are you making your life and your day-to-day you know, life so, so overcomplicated? You know, why are you doing things for the sake of others, and why are you doing things for you know, the societal norms and all these other things? That, yeah. You know, and I, I just had this like, moment where I just thought, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know why I think it's so important to like work so much. And I don't know why it's so important to be seen as being busy. And I've now got this thing where I don't say the word busy. And it's, abs- it's changed so many things because I can challenge you on this tomorrow. Count how many times someone says the word busy. To us. Yeah, to, yeah. Just, to, just in general. So when you're catching up with friends or when you're talking to colleagues or you're talking to your family, you know, the, the, the most used word I've found is when you say, how have you been? Yeah, really busy. And everyone's really busy. And I just thought, God, what does it mean to be busy? Like, if you take back all these things. And yeah, I am obviously busy. You know, I, I do a full-time job. I'm commuting a lot. I'm, I'm seeing friends. I, I run a social enterprise. I'm trying to, you know, pack in holidays. I'm trying to go to the gym. You know, that, that one doesn't really make me that busy but you know there's so many things that you know do equate to the word busy but what I yeah. found is it, it means that you're you're like stripping away the chance of you actually filling your time with things that you want it to be filled with because yeah. you keep telling your brain that you're so busy and yeah. that's what I kept so thinking true. I said to telling people I said oh I'm just really busy and then I, I, there was definitely a period where my friends like the sex in the city right I'm definitely the Miranda you know the one that's just always so busy you know the one that has to fly in late because uh, it makes it sound so glamorous <laughs> walking late let's say not no intercontinental uh, meetups in uh, Abu Dhabi but yeah there's like I'm always the one that's like oh I'm, I, I have to come after work you know I've got this meeting that starts at 6.30 and they're always the ones that are like what meeting starts at 6.30 I'm like oh you just don't get it it's like that's what we do in the city you know it's, it's late it, but it's and again it goes back to that and I had this really tough talk with myself where I was like do you know what you sound like an absolute asshole. like just stop saying that like it doesn't make anyone think that they already know that you work hard you haven't got to keep saying you know I'm just really busy you know because actually you get left out of a lot of things I've come to realize or you don't get the opportunities if you just go yeah life's good and that's all you've got to say like last night's really good not I'm just really busy yeah. You know, and it, honestly, you hear it on the train so many times, and you sit there, and people just, yeah, really busy. What about you? Yeah, yeah, really busy. Yeah, it's like <laughs> no one actually goes beyond then and says like, what have you been doing? Yeah, it's like, are you happy doing that? So I had a really like, I just had a bit of a moment, I think, back in January. So. Isn't that the fear though? You'll ask someone, are you happy doing that? And they'll go, <laughs> no, and then they'll be like, yeah, completely fall apart. Yeah, it's almost like busy. Don't ask any more questions. That's what I hear when I hear I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. It's, it's almost like it's almost like um, standing a, a really p- busy road and just traffic, traffic, traffic. You know, like, I can't get through that. 
I cannot cross that motorway. That's when I when I hear that in people, I'm thinking that's you've got a motorway in your head. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. cars. I think it's just such a you know it's a word that can be perceived in so many ways for people. Yeah. You know, and that's why I try not to use it as much because I just think it does create that barrier. It does create a barrier, and you're absolutely right. It starts you start to devalue what your day was composed of. I could rewrite your day and say, look at the amazing things that have happened. Yeah. Do not use that pernicious word. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And no one actually delves into what your day was, you know, what what it entailed. Yeah. Whereas if you said, oh, yeah, it's been really productive, someone initially then goes, oh, really, what did you do? Whereas when you say, yeah, it's just been really busy, I don't know, it's just such sort a of negative connotation. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. People just don't really go any further than that, do they? They just go, yeah, yeah, mine too, yeah. So anyway, you know, that, that's, that's what yeah. you do, isn't it? Another thing it does as well, sorry to have a go at it again, but it also, I... Um, I'm really busy invites no entry into other stuff to be done. Um, And actually, um, Stuart said in the office, Stuart's our kind of like marketing strategist, but he also runs his own companies. He's got a whole bunch of, he does the the podcast series and, you know, loads of other stuff. And he said, his wife asked him that question and he said, yeah, really busy. He went, hang on. She went, understand the difference between... um, positive getting loads of work done and being stressed out and busy she said doesn't sound like you're stressed out and busy it sounds like you're just doing loads of great stuff he went that's sorry but that's how i should say it. yeah i had been loads, loads of great stuff yeah, yeah. yeah so it's like it's that reinforcement to yourself i think that's one of the most that's the key thing i think that stops people uh, progressing in their life or career is their own language of, of how they see the world when oh, we yeah power we, of languages mega absolutely i've just realized we've gone way over yeah, our normal sorry, time I, <laughs> I would love to do a follow-up one with you on things like language and there's a whole bunch of other questions we haven't asked you on there um if uh, if we did an okay job of this do you think maybe you'd consider thinking about doing a return later in the year I mean, I'm, I'm considering getting up my career for this. I absolutely love it. <laughs> why, why the would pay is zero. <laughs> don't mind. <laughs> it's been really fun. No, I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for, for having me. Yeah, and I think if we do a follow-up one as well, because we didn't go too much into Money Girl, because I think there's loads out there on that already, and... I wanted to get something a little bit from, yeah, which we have from you, a bit different from that. But if we can do a follow-up, we can also see how far along that gets this year and new achievements and what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. Cheers.